Well, tonight, uh, I'm going to ask if you'll open your Bibles with me to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to look at a few different passages tonight. Numbers 13, I believe they're all familiar passages, uh, not new to you, so we won't read every single verse in, in these, but uh, I believe that you will find them uh, familiar and yet hopefully unfamiliar at the same time. Numbers chapter 13, I'm going to begin by reading verses 30 and 31. Context here is they've gone out and spied the land and they're coming back and giving their report. So in Numbers 13 and verse 30, we read Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. You see two competing voices here, two competing sides. And those two sides have not stopped. They're still competing in our minds today. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer this evening. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the one who has the victory and the power. Thank you that we're your children and we can call you not just our almighty God, which you are, but we can also call you our loving Heavenly Father. We can come to you. We can come boldly to your throne of grace and find mercy. I thank you that you've not just saved us from hell, but you've given us a purpose in this world. And I pray that we would understand that better this evening, that you would speak through me and speak to our hearts, including mine. That our lives would glorify you more because we've heard from your word this evening. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. The promised land is is a parallel to the victorious Christian life. And and though the challenges that the Israelites faced uh, are different than what we face, in many ways, the obstacles are very similar to what we as Christians are faced with today. The excuses, the, the temptations, really, they haven't changed in millennium. God's ways don't always make sense to us. I'm sure right now, Mrs. Joyner is facing that same question. They're active in ministry. They're on the mission field. Why would God take the life of her husband? We know his ways are perfect, but they don't always make sense. And here, Caleb is standing before the people and he's saying, we are able, let's go up and possess it. In fact, if we look over in chapter 14, starting in verse six, Joshua joins him and Joshua, the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. What Caleb and, and Joshua looked at and said, we are able because God is with us. The others said, we cannot. In fact, they looked at Caleb's recommendation and they accused him of having irresponsible confidence. And tonight I, I would 
I would challenge us that there are times that God wants us to live irresponsibly. Not to live carelessly, not to live unreasonably. He tells us we have a reasonable service. There is a reason that Caleb said we are able to go up. But the people with the worldly mindset, those who didn't really trust God, said it's irresponsible. It's not responsible. We cannot. They said our army is weak. I would imagine that uh, Caleb had some challenge from, from many of the families there saying, we don't want to go up. We're not ready to go. In fact, they wanted to stone him with stones. I guess I don't know what else you stone him with, but they were going to stone them. They wanted to kill them because they were ready to go up and take the land. They felt threatened. I mean, they were desperate not to go into the land which God had promised them. You know, sometimes we as Christians, we do the same thing. Maybe we're not trying to stone the pastor. I hope nobody's doing that. But the word of God convicts us. And we get so desperate out of fear that we will do things we never imagined to fight against what God wants us to do. Because when they said we cannot, the reality of their heart was he cannot. Caleb said, we can go up. Joshua joined him. Because God is with us, their defense is useless. But they said, we cannot. It wasn't about them. They were saying, we don't believe he can. Do we do that? Sadly, I believe we do many times. See, God had promised the victory. By faith, they already owned the land. We saw that in our, in our uh, uh, purchasing our land for Uganda. We mentioned in February of 2020, we asked churches to pray about it. And in, in less than a month, with COVID threatening the world economy, God provided over $90,000, mostly from people I didn't even know, and provided the money to buy that land. We purchased the land. We had the money, but because of COVID, we couldn't complete the purchase until August, September, something like that. And it wasn't until 2021 until we got the title, but it was already our land. I sang this morning, my father is rich in houses and what? He owns everything. We said before, we, I don't know where God is going to come up with the money over $100,000 to buy a third of an acre. Blew my mind. But I knew that God already owns everything. We're just waiting on him to transfer the title. That's where Israel was. It was already God's land. They just had to go up and receive the title. But they said, we can't. Really, they were saying, he can't. Caleb, you're being irresponsible. Your confidence is irresponsible. But Caleb knew that they were not responsible for the victory. God was responsible for the victory. They were only responsible for their obedience. We need to go up. In Uganda, one of my roles with our mission is to prepare all of the letters and documents necessary for each missionary when they need to get their work permit. And I can prepare the documents and I have some guidelines that I, that I follow and I can give them those documents and they submit it to government, but it's not my responsibility for them to get the work permit. It's just my responsibility to follow the guidelines in making the documents. And by faith, we trust that if God wants them to be there, they will get 
the work permit. Sometimes it takes longer than we expect, but it's never a mistake in God's timing. Our responsibility is to be faithful in obedience, but God is the one who actually does the work. They weren't responsible for the victory. They were only responsible for obedience. We see something similar in the life of Gideon in Judges chapter 7. In Judges, they were, you know the cycle of the Israelites. I mean, it's like a mirror for us, right? God had blessed them and they became comfortable in God's blessing and then they became relaxed in their worship and then they became distracted and began serving other gods and so God would put them into captivity and then they would come to their senses as we, as we read about the prodigal this morning and say, God, we remember you. We remember that you promised some good things. If we'll come back to you, we repent and God would bring up a judge and deliver them and they would, he would bless them and they would get comfortable in his blessing and then they'd get relaxed in their worship and then they would begin serving other God. We know the cycle. Well, here they were again and God raised up Gideon as the judge to deliver them. And it's really a, a humorous passage to me. It's humorous anyway. You know, Gideon's out there hiding. He's hiding and... And God says to him, you know, you're a valiant man. Uh, but anyway, look ahead with me in uh, Judges chapter 7. We'll read, we'll read from verse 1 to 7 of Judges 7. Then Jer Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And they returned to the people, twenty and two thousand. Which one of us would have been there? Anyway, don't answer. And there remained ten thousand. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people into the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that laughed will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. And let all the other people go every man unto his place. Three hundred men against the army of the Midianites. Sounds like a no-brainer, right? Easy. Let's do it. Now imagine, today's Father's Day, imagine it was your son that was among those three hundred men. Moms, imagine it was your son or your grandson that was among those 300. What are the odds? From human human standpoint, 300 men with no swords, by the way. You know, it's, it's the water team and the orchestra, right? And they're going to fight the army of the Mennonites. How many of you would say, oh, I'll volunteer my son? What would your expectation be? They're going to get slaughtered. It was, Gideon, you're being irresponsible. Your congregation, your army is too small. You don't have enough. 
300 men. Others said, you're ill-equipped. You're being irresponsible with the lives of our children. For the God, have you ever heard people say that about missionaries? You're taking our grandkids where? Where God wants them. Abby was one and a half when we went to Uganda. She's 18. By God's grace, I can't explain why none of our kids have ever tested positive for malaria. You know, there have been times we've thought about it, but the tests were always negative. That's a miracle. God can protect. We've had we've known missionaries that come back from Uganda and they get malaria in America. Well, you should have stayed in Uganda. No, but God, God can protect. It doesn't make sense. But the reality is we have to understand we're not responsible for the things that God is responsible for. Pastor, have you ever had a missionary show up unannounced and just show, start preaching in the middle of the service when he wasn't invited? Now, that wouldn't go over too well, would it? Well, they're just trying to help. Is it a help when it's not their job? It's not. There are times we try to help God out. How's that working out for you? Not very well. We try to take on responsibilities that aren't ours. I like the song that he said, if I give you a cup of cold water, that's all I'm going to demand. What God gives us is what he expects. He expects our faithfulness. We have a responsibility, yes, to God. But he says, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you more to do. Is that what he said? What is he going to give us? Rest. The blessing of being yoked to Jesus Christ is that we walk with him and it's his power and his strength that does the work. But so many times we try to take the responsibility on ourselves. Gideon understood that again, God had promised the victory. By faith, the Midianites were as good as defeated. I would guess that there were people there in Israel at that time when they heard about Gideon's plan and they're saying, Gideon, you're being irresponsible. They probably would have questioned Jesus for only having 12 apostles, right? Sometimes we question God, why, why are you doing it this way? But Gideon understood he was not responsible for the victory. He was only responsible for obedience. But I would add this, trusting in ourselves is irresponsible. In Sarodi, I'd always seen myself as a second man, you know, assisting others. And when God called us to go to, to Kampala and start a church, he and I had a conversation about that. And I said, God, I'm, I'm a second man. And he said, good, don't forget it, because I'm going to build my church. I didn't have anything else to say at that point. We moved to Kampala, and he's built the church. And when we went on furlough last time, the church grew. When we came back, the church kept growing. COVID hit. We came back right before COVID. The week, the, the last Sunday before COVID hit was March of 2020. The previous Sunday, my pastor from Alabama was there with his wife. We had a record attendance of 72. It was a glorious the Sunday. The last month before we left to come back on furlough, we had 82. I can't explain it. And there's several families that have moved away. Others that were out of the country. 
others that were traveling. God's building his church. It's good to be second man to him because he is the one that's doing it. Trusting in ourselves is irresponsible. Caleb understood and people accused him of having an irresponsible confidence. Gideon understood that and people accused him of having an irresponsible congregation. And we as the church have what some would say is an irresponsible calling. An irresponsible calling. They would say that living by faith, well, that's irresponsible. You have, you have debts to pay. How can you tithe to the church? That's irresponsible. You're giving faith promise and, and you're needing financial help. How can you be giving? That's irresponsible. You're taking your kids to Africa. You're taking your kids to Greenland. That's irresponsible. And the world doesn't understand. In Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12, he says, he writes to the church in Philippi and says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. That means let it be seen in you, not let you be seen, by the way. Working out our salvation is letting it be worked out. It's like exercising. How many of you like to work out? I'm not going to raise my hand. Nobody's raising your hand. Wow, we're in good company tonight. How many of you know somebody who likes to work out? Okay, all right. They're exercising muscles they already have, right? They're building muscles, strengthening, building strength. We're exercising what we already have. And God has given us a calling and he wants us to work it out. He wants it to be seen of what he has done. He wants our salvation to be seen in others. Work out your own salvation. He continues in verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you not to do whatever I want, as is popular teaching in Uganda these days, but to both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God's the one that does it. And we have in our minds sometimes that, well, I, I, God, if I'm going to serve you, I have to do this and this and I have to do and you're going to make me do that. God is the one that's working. In Uganda, in our Bible college and even in our church, often I use a, a toolbox as an illustration of the church. That God is like a carpenter building a table. And if you were to go down to Ace Hardware and buy lumber, you'd probably have to sell your car to buy the lumber, but you buy some lumber and some nails and a hammer and a saw and, and you want to build a table or, or maybe a new pulpit cover. You, you don't just get the tools and the lumber and, and put it there and say, all right, make this for me. Make me a table. The tools have to be in the hands of the craftsman. And if you have, if you have tools that you got at the Dollar Tree, it's not quite going to be the same as, you know, getting a good set of craftsman tools or snap-on tools if you're working on your car or whatever. You know, there are, there are different strengths of tools. And the ones that keep, you know, rusting and, and you know, the, the pliers that won't open, you don't use those as often as the ones that, that you can just pick up and know you can depend on them. See, God's doing the work. He wants us to be tools available for His work. And He's going to build His kingdom. Our theme in Uganda this year for our church, 2021, is building the kingdom of God. We want to build up our families, strengthen our families. We want to build up in our community, sharing the gospel, evangelizing. We want to start building a structure for our church as well. 
but building the kingdom. And I keep telling our church, God wants to use us, but He's the one to work through us. Sometimes we make the excuses like the Israelites. We cannot, and really what we mean is, I don't believe He can. But God wants to work through us. It's God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And in verse 14, we see our response. He says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. But God, I don't want to do this. God, I don't want to go. Why? Why? Whoever said that? Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Did you, are we living in Philippi? Anyway. Uh, midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither, neither labored in vain. Our response, don't murmur, don't dispute. We waste a lot of time debating things that, from an eternal viewpoint, they really don't matter. We should be blameless. We should be harmless. And really, verse 15, when he says the sons of God, he's saying we need to look like Jesus. I saw something the other day. We've all heard the phrase, what would Jesus do? And they said that's the wrong question. The question should be, what is Jesus doing now? What is he doing in us? What does he want to do through us? Not what would he do? What is he doing? Because he's still the one that's doing it. By faith, we live victorious over sin because God has already promised us victory as his ambassadors. By faith, we look like Jesus. By faith, we lead others to him because we're not responsible to change the world. It's not my job to go to Uganda and convert all the Ugandans to Christianity. It's my job to preach the gospel. God's the one that's going to change them. Just like it's not your job to convert all of Harrison and Uruwa to Jesus Christ. It's our job to give the message. And I'm thankful the Holy Spirit does a really good job at His. We don't have to take responsibility for the Holy Spirit. We're not responsible. We're, we need to live irresponsibly, not taking the authority, taking the role that isn't ours. Because when we look at the whole scope of, of what we think it should be to change the world, that's not our job. Our job is just to show His light to show His love, to show His life to the world. And that eliminates the excuses that we cannot. We don't have to sound like the children of Israel. We can't go up. We can. He can. We can go. And He's going to do the work. No excuses that I'm not equipped. I only have a trumpet and a pitcher. And I can't even play. You know, it didn't matter the sound that came out of the trumpet. Did you notice that? He didn't interview them and have an audition to see who could play. They just needed to be obedient. And God did the work. There's no audition for soul winning. We just need to give the message. Giving out a gospel tract. Sharing the hope. Inviting people to church. Inviting them to the, the men's fellowship. No excuses that I'm not equipped. He gives what we need to fulfill His purpose. And understanding why he does that is important for us. We're in Philippians 2. Go back. We read from verse 12, but look at, look at the two verses preceding in verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. 
and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. Why is it so necessary? Why is it so urgent for us to live irresponsibly? Not to take responsibility for things that aren't ours, but to be faithful in the task He has given us. Because we have the hope. We have the answer, which is Jesus Christ. But is He seen in us? Are we such that people say, this is a child of God? We're not responsible to change others. God does that. We're not responsible to build the church. Christ does that. But we are responsible to let Him build and to let Him be bright through us. Do we feel like it's about our strength? It's not. About our size? Our number? It's not. About our service? It's up to me. It's not. This is what I love about our church in Uganda. It grows whether I'm there or not. I I enjoy being there. But it's not my church in the sense of my responsibility. I have responsibilities, but it's God's church. And He's building it. This isn't Pastor Gilbert's church. It's Christ's church. But He wants to build it through us. Are we available? Is our faith truly in the One who has given us an irresponsible calling? Are we obedient in our holiness and available but trusting Him to give the increase? We can live irresponsibly according to the world because they don't understand the God who saved us. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. It's not just that no matter how much sin He has, there's enough grace to save us. It's that He took us from where we were and now we are much more. He didn't just reset the clock so we're back like Adam in the Garden of Eden. He's made us a new creature. A child of God. Someone in whom He delights. He doesn't delight in us only when we please Him. But we will please Him when we delight in Him. And that is our motivation for service. We must respond to God. There is a need for responsibility, our response. So what is your response tonight? Is it we can't? Really, it means he can't. Or is it that we can, you can, work through me? Would you stand with me this evening? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder what excuses are we making? Oh, we can't tithe but then you just don't understand our financial situation. I don't. But I understand the God who gave us the instruction. I just just can't witness. He can through us. I can't serve in the nursery. I can't serve in the, the Sunday school, the children's church. But God can through us. I can't I can't study well. I don't test well. I can't be involved in in the Bible Institute. But God can work through us. I can't share the gospel, but God can through us. I can't go on a missions trip, but God can through us. I can't be a foreign missionary, but God can through us. Are we willing? What is your response this evening?